All righty. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. When you're there, say amen. amen. <laughs> All right. Because I'm reading from the NIV, and that's Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I want to take my subject from this, the second verse. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and speak to you on the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father, you alone are more than able to do that which is expected tonight, Lord Jesus. Speak to someone tonight, Lord. Increase as I decrease. Use me as your oracle, Lord Jesus. Let this word, God, enlighten someone tonight, Lord Jesus. God, we pray that your spirit may come down and sup with us tonight, Lord Jesus. God, we've had a busy day, Lord. We are grateful that we're able to come together in the house of the Lord and to fellowship in the beauty of your word. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do in this place tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. First, I want to thank Pastor for allowing me the opportunity to come speak to you find beautiful people. Amen. And so tonight I want to speak about a subject that's actually really, really close to my heart, and I believe it's relevant um, to everyone here that is a part of the um, Pentecostal movement. And I named the top the sermon the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now this is not to say that there's not more um, things that the Holy Spirit is trying to do or has done. Um, we will discuss three aspects of the Holy Spirit that he has revealed himself in the Bible. And these are three of many. And I remember when I first went off to um, Bible college and I took a class on um, the Holy Spirit. And I didn't go to an apostolic Bible college, but interesting enough, the teachers, the professor, as well as the students, they were very much um, in tune with discussing the Holy Spirit. It was the first time I've actually even heard a sermon about the Holy Spirit it was actually at school. I've never heard a sermon uh, about the Holy Spirit. And a lot of things they were saying about the Holy Spirit, I say, man, that doesn't really sound right. But it was encouraging that they were actually um, discussing or having this conversation about the Holy Spirit. 
And so I took it upon myself to further study this topic. And I'm going to share with you some of the things that I've, um, I've studied then, as well as some new um, things I've studied now. And I'm hoping that it may be a blessing to you. In a text that we um, read earlier, Genesis 1-2 introduces the uh, first act of the Holy Spirit. But I believe before we can answer um, the question of what is the Holy Spirit doing in this text, we have to first understand what is this text actually uh, talking about. And I don't know about you when, when you read the Bible. When I read the Bible, I like to ask questions about the Bible, about the text. And it says, in the beginning. And for me, a natural question is, what? is the beginning and i know our modern interpretation of reading this text is to approach it from a uh i know for myself more of a um, that this is the beginning that of god right i'm approaching it from a more scientific point of view that this is where god is creating the universe and he's creating everything like the 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 like more of a cosmology but I come to you today to tell you that the Bible, believe it or not, was actually written to a people in another time. Do you know that? Amen. And it's important to understand the context in which the Bible was written. And if you look at the context of the culture in which Genesis is um, being written to, it is being written to a group of people who are within an ancient Near Eastern background. And within his background, you have the Israelites that are trapped inside of the Egyptian background. Now, the Egyptians believe that the creation or the, uh, or, or the creation of the universe or the creation of earth, that it was enacted every single day. That one God was not strong enough to actually create this world over a period of time. And so their multi multiplicity of gods created this world over and over and over and over because that's the only way to sustain such a big universe and so when a writer is writing to um the these 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 israelites he's actually speaking to them speaking to the egyptian culture and he's speaking what i would call a truth in the midst of many lies he's telling them that while your god was not able to create the world, in a period of time, my God was able to create the world in a seven-day period of time. And that it was not a multiplicity of gods, that it was just one God. And so this term, in the beginning, it comes from the Hebrew word, Bereshith. It, it refers to a time that has an actual a beginning and an actual ending. And if you want a more internal evidence, we go to Deuteronomy chapter 11 at verse 12. Um, it talks about the beginning of the year. The Hebrew that's used there is uh, Rasid Hasanah, which refers to a point in time that has an ending and, um, at time. And so Moses, who we attribute as the author, is actually in a debate with these Egyptians, and he is telling them that my God is strong enough to create the universe 
in a seven day period. And again, the period, the beginning is only referring to the beginning of the seven day period and not the beginning of the universe itself. Amen. Now, I'll ask you a question now, because I like for my Bible study to be a little more interactive. Um, Why can it not refer to an actual beginning of time? Not you. Anyone else? It's all right. It's okay to be wrong or be right. No one. Okay, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. You overheard me talking, probably. <laughs> no. Yes, that's correct. God begot the beginning. Amen. Now, in verse two is also very interesting because in verse one, God creates the world. But in verse two, it says that it's it's formless, that is void. Which in Hebrew is tahu vabahu, which denotes that it's chaos. So there's a there's a problem because in verse one, God creates this world. But then in verse two. The world has a problem. So what happens? It says that the spirit of God moved. This is the first ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is what is God in activity. And so earlier today, uh, as we were praying, we were asking God to send down your spirit. So we're not asking God to send a, a second person of the Godhead. When we say, God, send down your spirit, we're saying, God, act, move, create. Amen. And so in verse two, what you see is that God cannot dwell where there is chaos. So the spirit has to create. It has to move. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the whole reason why whenever you seek um, disorder, God, I did not. Because God, the Spirit of God creates. Amen? So tell your neighbor, the first ministry of the Holy Spirit is to create. (laughs) It is to create. Amen? What's also very interesting is that in verse 1, he creates. Verse 2, there's disorder. But the word create isn't used again until verse 26. So ask your neighbor, what happens? So, so if you read Genesis chapter 1, you actually see what God is doing. He is pulling and fashioning the actual world itself. So he creates the world with everything in it. But you see that the skies are trapped in the in the ocean. He begins to pull out the fowls. He begins to pull things out and put things in order. That's the, that that is a message unto ourselves anyway, because I don't know about you guys, but I, I my, me myself, I'm not perfect, and I might slip up every now and then and get upset. And 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 I people at my job, my family members, they're the first one to say, oh. 
aren't you that Christian? Right? Aren't you that? But, but see, I, I tell them, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to go back to Genesis 1. It took God 20 verses to make the universe. He ain't done with me yet. Amen? Tell him. And so the beauty of it, the message that is being taught in Genesis 1, the, the creativity of God is that God, the spirit of God is so perfect. It's so perfect that there's no do-over. That when you get the Holy Spirit, you get everything that you need. He creates the world and the world is in chaos, but he doesn't have to create again. He just pulls things and put things in together. This is the God who pulls. Amen. He creates Adam and decides it's not good for Adam to be alone. Then he goes in Adam and he pulls out of Adam. Amen. So we are serving a God who pulls. And just to, just to give a little testimony for myself. Um, it, I, I I come straight from the streets. I'm East Trent, Wilbur we'll Section, Hundred Block, Walnut. Okay, let's go. <laughs> and 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 I um I got saved at um ninth uh, the ninth uh well I'm not I didn't get saved in ninth grade. I dropped out of school in ninth grade. So when I got saved, I didn't have I I had a ninth grade education, ignorant, ignorant and just lost. And this, I get filled with God's spirit, and these new desires start to create, okay? These new desires of just wanting to learn more about God, wanting to advance my career, wanting to be the first one in my family to go to college. And, and, and the spirit of God is so unwilling to stay within you and is and, and is not creating or pulling in that I, I that I stand before you as someone who gets saved with a ninth grade dropout at today as someone with a bachelor's, two masters, and can barely speak English, but can speak about two languages now. That is only through the Spirit of God. He's the, he, he is the creator. Amen? Amen? He's into the business of pulling things out of you. When you get the spirit of God in you, he begins to teach you things. He begins to show you things. Why do you think that when you go uh, around your family or your old friends, they don't even recognize you? I... I, I I go to my old neighborhood, not to hang out, much like go to the store or something like that. And and they don't even they don't even recognize me. They they don't even call me the name they used to call me. They just say pastor. That's what they say, preacher boy. Why? Because the spirit of God, that same spirit of God that created in the universe, is within me creating and pulling. And it's also within you guys, creating and pulling. But in the spirit, guys, it's not done yet. It's not done yet. Because what we're going to do, we're going to fast forward. We're going to fast forward 
through the historic books, fast forward through poetry books. We're going to fast forward because the Spirit of God is actually setting to do a new thing. Amen. A new thing. Excuse me. And the second thing that the Spirit of God is wanting to do, and I'm going to give you a technical term for it, is called regeneration. Now, what does that mean? Ask your neighbor, what does that mean? Did your neighbor answer you? Your neighbor answered you? Okay, what your neighbor say? A new start. So in Titus chapter 3 at verse 5, it says, it, it, it uses this word, um, new beginning, depending on, what, depending on which translation you have, a new beginning, a new birth. That is where we get the word regeneration from. That the Spirit of God is looking to do a new thing to bring about a new birth. And I told my wife ahead of time, I'm going to need her to be my Bible reader because we're going to jump around the Bible, right? Okay. So, (laughs) and if we can turn to Luke chapter 3 at verse 2 to 3. the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. So John receives a calling. And this calling is for John to go near the Jordan and to baptize. And so on, on, on each portion of text that we're, we are going to encounter, we have to really kind of um, go a little deep to actually, to actually understand what's going on. And in your Bible, in the Old Testament, there's a book called Malachi. Okay. Malachi. And the next book of the Bible is called. I'm giving out pounds today. It's called Matthew. And so we can better understand um, what's going on in Luke. As you can see, in between those testaments, there's nothing, right? It's it's the closing of the Old Testament, the opening of the New Testament. Boy, you better stop. 400 years. I'm sorry. Okay, let's let's we'll, we'll talk about that. I feel free to talk out too, right? That's fine. And so, what we're going to discuss is the 400 years in between the 
Testaments. Scholars call it the intertestamental period. And it really picks up from Kings, right, where we have the southern kingdom is um, basically attacked. After the ten, the ten tribes, they're attacked by the Assyrians, right? The northern kingdom then becomes attacked by the Babylonians. So they then go into exile, and you have like the books like um, Daniel, right, where they're they're in exile, writing from exile, and from that point you have the Persians who then take over. Whoever seen the movie 300? No one? Okay. So the king, what was the king name? You remember? The Persians. What did you say? Xerxes. Xerxes. Okay. True true figure. So the, the Persian kings, the Persian, they, they take over the the Jewish people. But Xerxes was actually very um, open to the Jewish people. They then he then allowed them to go back home to rebuild their um, their temple. This is where we have Daniel. This is the post-exilic period where Daniel is writing, as well as Ezekiel was writing from. This in the, in the post-exilic period. But then about a uh, hundred or so years later. Something else happens. A guy named Alexander the Great, right? He goes on a mass spree of just control. Like the world has never, ever seen. So he takes over all of Palestine, all of Egypt. The The Greek word for Greece is called Hellas. So if you're in the history, this is called the Hellenistic period. And as he as he's taken over the known world at the time, he is influencing these Jewish people. Influencing them with their with his with their culture, with their gods, with um with their way of life. He's also marrying um Palestinian and, and Jewish um, wives, the, the, the Greek culture influenced um, the known world so much that the Old Testament, the Hebrew text, was translated to the Greek, which is known as the Septuagint, which is the text that Jesus actually quotes from when he quotes the Old Testament. And it's with this backdrop it's with this control that we are to understand the Gospels as, or the New Testament as a whole, right? And now that's important to give you, that, give you that backdrop because John is dealing with these Jews that are influenced by the Greek culture. They're no longer serving the one true God as it was articulated during the time of Moses, and so God tells them to go near the Jordan. Now, the Jordan is very interesting in the Bible. Who knows why? The Jordan. Why is the Jordan River 
interesting in the Bible. God is telling John to go near the Jordan. Okay. So in the Old Testament, why is it important? Okay. Not you. So in Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4, the land that was flowing with milk and honey that Joshua was to lead the children of Israel to, they had to go through the Jordan River. And to get there, they had God parted the, the Jordan River like he did for Moses, and they all went through. So the Jordan River, God performed the miracle to get to the promised land. God tells them to lay down the stones to commemorate that place, to remind them that God performed the miracle. Another place where the Jordan River actually comes to mind is in Kings. There's these two fellas. They're on the road. And one fellow's name is Elijah. The other fellow's name is Elisha. And they get to this river named the Jordan. And they need to get across because Elisha has a question to ask Elijah. But he has to he has to ask this question on the other side. And so Elijah rolls up his sleeves, go into the go into the river, puts his hand in the water, and the same thing happens. The water is split. And so in both instances, the water, the first instance, the water was the place to get to the promised land. The second instance, when Elijah and Elisha went over to the Jordan, Elisha then asked Elijah for the double portion of his anointing. For the second place, it was a means in which Elijah was to receive the actual double portion of the anointing. And so you have John during, uh, around the Jordan River, and he's baptizing these individuals. See, I believe that, that the Jordan River is symbolic because the Jordan River is first used as a place to go to a promised land or something that God has ordained. These Israelites are now turned from God. They're now influenced. And so God is telling John to go and get them and to bring them back through the Jordan. And it's going to become even more important when we actually read the baptism of who get who else gets baptized? I'm sorry. Jesus. Jesus gets baptized. And if we can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 23, and my wife shall read. And as she's reading, just keep in mind of what we talked about, about the Jordan River. 
Okay? My wife's going to read. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. For what he are you reading? Oh, you said Luke, right? <laughs> what, what are you reading? What, what chapter is that? I'm sorry, what, what verse did you say? Look at that. 21. Sorry, I was at 21 and I was reading verse 9. I did it backwards. Sorry, you said mm-hmm. chapter 3, verse 21. Mm-hmm. I apologize. I went to 1, verse 23. Bless and loaded. <laughs> okay, 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Amen. So Jesus get baptized in this same river. Now, I, as I told you earlier, I went, uh, um, I went to Bible college. And, and there's a, a Trinitarian college. And so this to them was actually a Trinitarian verse, right? And it, um, we had a, a, um, a debate team, and I was the only one, this person on a campus of a few thousand. And they say, um, we're going to discuss the topic of, like, the Godhead. And, and mass email went out, and it went out to all the students, like the invitation, and at the bottom of the invitation, it said, and Isaiah Haskell will be present. Now, I didn't know about it about it until the email. Okay? So I said, okay. All right. They want to play games. All right. I'm going to go. And they brought this text up. They said, well, there you have it. You have the Father is speaking. You have the Son there, and you have the Holy Spirit right right there. So I said, is the Spirit an animal? I said, no. Are you sure? I said, yeah. It's okay. Okay. So what's the problem? Why do you think that this is the Trinity? The next verse, do we read in amazement from the Jewish people that they are looking at a trinity? They say, no. It's okay. So when we get to heaven, will we see the spirit as a dove? They say, no. So, so, so I asked them, I said, so where is this thought coming from? And I realized that they understood this to be the Trinity because they've not read the entire Bible. Because I have no issues with this text because you have to ask yourself, how has God dealt with speaking through his people throughout the Bible? For instance, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, it says, but will God indeed dwell on earth? 
behold, heaven and the highest heaven can not contain you, how much less the house that you've that I've built. This is Solomon who's dedicating this temple unto God, and he is understanding in all his wisdom that God, not even this 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 temple that I'm building for you can sustain you. So Solomon knew that the presence of God, while we'll be in the temple, it would also be in the higher heavens. So seeing the the and I'll actually give you another verse in um, uh, Samuel, Second Samuel, chapter twenty-two, verses fourteen. I want you to write these verses. Write these down. Second uh, Samuel. Chapter 22, verse 14. It says that the Lord thundered from heaven. The Lord thundered from heaven. But if you read in Exodus, it said God spoke to Moses from a burning bush. So you have two instances where God is speaking from heaven, though he's not secluded in heaven. But another instance in which God is speaking from the burning bush. The jigs is, is that God can also speak from heaven while being inside the incarnate Jesus. Amen. So there's no problem when you look at how God has spoken to his people in the Old, Old Testament. No one is no one said, oh, well, God, if God is in heaven, or, or if God is speaking to Moses in a burning bush, then if God is speaking to heaven, then he must be in a bush and not here. The Jewish people understood what was going on. Amen? Part of this verse, it says, and, and I'll admit that there are some unique things about this passage of Scripture that I do want to discuss. So it says that this is my beloved son this is my beloved son so this is an echo from psalms chapter 2 and the psalm chapter 2 is the same psalm that is used or that was used over the kings as they begin to walk into kingship so this will actually be the same psalm that is said upon David. And this is God the in his all powerness. He is declaring Jesus as king. The miracle is God is anointing himself. Amen. Now, I heard someone say the next portion. What is the next portion? This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. So, this Old Testament scholar said that this comes from Isaiah chapter 42. This is the servant song. And, and if you read Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah is discussing or, or, or um, detailing a a, a um, someone who will come as a unique servant for Yahweh. And so, and this servant will do different things that no other servant 
has done before. Amen? But now, then you have the more controversial um, part where it says that the spirit, what? What's going on with the spirit and the dove? The, the spirit descended on him like a dove, right? Now, we have to ask ourselves, what, what is it not saying, right? So it's not saying that the spirit is an animal, is a dove, right? But what other place do we see the dove? You know? Noah and the ark. So Noah sends the dove out once to see if the water recedes, come back, didn't recede. Twice, twice, see if the water recedes, comes back, the dove comes back, it, the water is still, still pretty high. Sends the dove out the third time, the dove never comes back. That told Noah that it was safe to come outside, that the new covenant had started. And when you read this text, what this is going on, there's a ceremony taking place. God is being anointed as king. He is being anointed as Yahweh's servant. And the dove is the conclusion that this is the new era of the spirit. That there's a new covenant that is taking place. Amen. So when we speak of regeneration, the new birth experience, this is what we want to understand, that, that the new birth experience happens because Jesus goes through the new birth experience. And, here's, and here's, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. The kicker is, it says that after this is done, says that Jesus starts his ministry. Amen. Any true ministry is the ministry filled with the spirit. Amen. Jesus. And it's interesting because if you read in the other gospels, you see that he, even as a young child, he's arguing with the philosophers and, and all the deep people of that time. But the Bible don't cause that ministry. It's not until this experience happened, these, this regeneration experience happens when he starts what? His ministry. So the first um, role of the Holy Spirit is creation. The second is regeneration. The third, let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of all the earth. That is good. Let's get that again. Amen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Amen. So in furtherance of this new age of spirit living, Jesus tells them before taking up that they shall receive power. The power is associated with witnessing. The third attribute or ministry of the spirit is evangelizing. So in Acts 2, or what rather is not into Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, how we actually see the Spirit is working to evangelize. And so Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, if you don't know, Pentecost means 50th. It's 50 days after Passover. Okay? And I wish I had a map up here because if you, if you, if you see the map during that time, you see that basically whole world of Jewish people were there. And the disciples were in the room. Okay? And we 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 read the, the text and, and we actually present it in a way as if they were like in a room like praying and just being real spiritual. But I actually think they were scared. They were scared because all of the Jews in the known world is at this place. They are the only followers of the way of Jesus. Jesus told them that you will need my spirit to be effective. They understood that they were not effective at that moment. So there was no need to be out. And so they go into this room and a few things happen. In verse 2, um, this is Acts 2, verse 2. My wife can read. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Amen. Let's read one more time for those who aren't there. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Three things going on. You have wind, fire, and speech. If you read First um, Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13, you have the same thing. You have wind, fire, and speech. And kings tell you that that is all of God. And so while they're in this room, and I don't think we even understand what's going on, is that the entire Godhead bursts into this room. The room is literally filled with all of God. Amen? In verse 3, it, it details the tongues of fire. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. That, se- that separated and came to rest on each of them. See, I believe that the tongues of fire is referencing um, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, that d- details that soon someone will baptize you with the fire 
and the Holy Spirit. So like the dove signified the covenant of life in the spirit, the tongues on fire is symbolism. The tongues on fire is symbolizing fire baptism on all tongues, all nations. Amen. And we understand this because later, as Peter is preaching, the Holy Spirit falls. And all tongues begin to speak in another language. And those watching, they are in amazement. Amen. And and it says that the Spirit, that they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit allowed. Amen. And I'm, I, I don't know if you guys have read Genesis, I'm sorry, um, Acts through and through. But I, but I, but I, I do want to show you how Jesus actually kept his promise of when he told them that when the Spirit comes and you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be able to, to witness or, or evangelize in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so I actually broke down the, the, the chapters in Acts for you. And so if you if you section off Acts chapters one through chapter seven, that's Jesus keeping his promise because that's all that's all Jerusalem. Amen. If you section off chapters eight through chapters 12, that's Jesus keeping his promise. That's Judea and Samaria. And if you section off chapters 13 through chapters 28, that's the ends of the world. That's Rome. And at that time, Rome is the end of the world. And so the spirit that allowed them to evangelize literally the known world, the spirit that created the universe, the spirit that baptized Jesus is the same spirit within us. We are in the era of the spirit. Amen. Questions, comments, concerns, statements. If you don't ask me, I'll ask you. Questions, comments, concerns. Come on, people. Alrighty. You have questions? Okay. Alright, if there's no questions, I won't keep you longer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this word. I thank you for the ability to teach it. I pray, Lord, that it may marinate on the hearts and the mind of your people. I thank you, Lord, for bringing us together for this time to fellowship. Lord, let your spirit just take its toll. God, let us grow in your word that we may know you. We thank you, Lord God, for your spirit. We thank you for all that you have done, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the Pentecostal experience, for empowering us with your spirit to do your work to evangelize, Lord Jesus, to create a new within us. 
God, we ask you to keep us in your in your presence, Lord. Keep your hands on us as you leave from this place, but never from your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.